Let's bow once more, church family, as we prepare our hearts to receive uh, the love of God through his word this morning. Gracious Father, we want to pause for a moment to collect our thoughts. Uh, Lord, we want to ask through the power of your spirit that you would remove any distractions that would keep us from hearing uh, your truth today, Uh, that your spirit would teach us, that he would guide us uh, in all truth and that he would sanctify us uh, in that truth today. And so, Father, I pray for each one here this morning that knows your Son, Jesus Christ, as their personal Savior, that they would understand in a more deeper and more meditative way uh, the love that you have for them. And, Father, too, for those that don't know you through your Son, Jesus Christ, this morning, that they would experience for the first time what true love is uh, and how that was exhibited and you sent in your Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, to seek and to save the lost. And so, Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we continue in our Advent sermon series. Uh, Today is the second to last. Uh, The final one will be this coming Friday at our Christmas Eve service. Uh, But today we have the privilege of taking a look at Psalm 89, uh, as well as some other passages as we speak to the fourth candle, which is love. Uh, We've taken a look at hope and peace and joy, and now we're going to take a look at love. Uh, And before I begin and and speak to the steadfast love of God, uh, one of the things I need you to do as someone who is a human being who walks on the planet, uh, who has been, uh, you know, recipients of all kinds of lies in relation to what love is, today you're going to learn what biblical love is. You're going to understand the difference between human love and the love of God. Um, Because man has distorted, has hijacked, has manipulated, uh, and has sought for uh, millennia to put forth something that pales in comparison, that isn't even in the same stratosphere in relation to God's love. Uh, And you'll see why in just a moment. Uh, But anything that you've been taught from your upbringing, uh, if it is not based in the God who is, today you will know what true love is. We begin this morning by uh, taking a look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, as we take a look at the steadfast love of God. And the first thing that you need to understand, that God is love. Now we're not talking about the love that was perpetuated in the 1960s and into the 1970s. Uh, It is not the the lust that people have one for another. Uh, This is, by definition, one of the uh, attributes of God, the fact that God is love. It's not something that he is gaining. It's not something that he needs to change over time. Uh, It's perfect uh, in its perfection uh, because it comes from the God who is eternal. In verse 7 of chapter 4, 1 John, as it speaks to God uh, being the one who is love, It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. So stop there for a moment. So love does not come from any relationship that you may have with some other person on this planet. Love can only come from God. The only way that you're going to know what true love is, is if you go to God. Because it says here, love is from God. A man may try to define what love is. He may take and look through his experience what love is. But he will always fall short of what love truly is. 
if his focus isn't first through the God who is love, the one who gives love to us. Verse 7 goes on to say, And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So the prerequisite for you to know what love is, is first to go to the God who is love, the God who uh, love comes from, but only those who have been born again and know God can know what true love is. So everyone else in the world that is devoid of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, who have repented of their sins and trusted in the Savior for salvation, does not know what love is. No matter how hard they will try to define it, to uh, put into play some type of experience, uh, to uh, you know make it happen or allow it to happen, it will always be that which is selfish in nature. Because man is selfish by nature. And so apart from God, giving it to someone by being born of God or being born again, having a, uh, a heart that is no longer uh, only thinking of itself, that is like a stone, as the scripture says, but instead having a heart that is able to, to perceive and to see spiritual things because God has done something miraculous and changed them. He has breathed life into that which was dead. He has cha- transferred that which was darkness into light. Verse 8 goes on to say, anyone who does not love does not know God. See, because the love that comes from God gives you the ability to do things that you will not do in your selfish nature, and that is to love the unlovable. You know, God loved us because God is love. It is part of his attributes, part of who he is. Because as God looked at me, one who was created in his image, the only thing that I could offer God in return is a sinful nature. Something that only thought about itself, that only internalized things and could not think of anything beyond itself. And so God showed his love because he is love. And if I don't love in turn because God has loved me, then I don't know God. And we're not talking about an intellectual ascent. We're, we're talking about the ability to walk and to, to know God, to experience him, to, to know his promises in the word of God and personalize them, and to know that whatever you read in the word of God has the ability to continue to transform your, your sinful mind into a mind that is honoring and glorifying to God. And the verse 8 finishes with, because God is love. So he doesn't need to change. He is love. He doesn't have to take away. He doesn't have to add to. He doesn't have to morph over time. He doesn't have to allow the culture to come in and tell him what love is because God is love. It's one of his attributes. And so that is why true biblical love can only come from the God of the Bible. It can only come to you from the God who is love and the the one who gives love itself. And we can see that very plainly this time of year as we think about the baby in the manger. And we'll get to that in a few moments. But know this, God is love. Second, God's steadfast love never ends. See, like love relationships here on earth, as love relationships on a horizontal level, devoid of God, love comes and goes. Because it all depends upon how selfish one individual is over the other. Well, if you don't do this, you don't love me. See, that's not the kind of love we're talking about because that's not true love to begin with. 
that's manipulative, that is love that is, uh, well, it's not love at all. And see, what happens is, is that this steadfast love that comes from the God who is love never has a shelf date. It, it will never grow old over time. It will never wane in its capacity to transform because it comes from the eternal God who is. And listen to what it does in relation to uh, the, the life of the psalmist as we look at Psalm 89, verses 1 and 2. He says, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. So there's not going to be a point in time, there's not going to be a point in eternity where we're not going to give praise to the steadfast love of God. Because whether we're here on earth experiencing salvation through Christ and God putting a new song in our mouths, or we're standing in the presence of God forever, that's not going to change one iota in relation to that steadfast love and our ability to sing praise to the Lord of all forever and ever and ever. It says, with my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. So this love that God gives us, that he is faithful to give, that he is faithful to keep, coming from the God who is love, is something that is going to burst forth through every believer there is. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, the love of God should be emanating through you in such a way that the rest of the world says, wow, what do you have? Who are you? How can you love that person? God. Because he gives me the ability to do that which I could not do in the flesh. Verse 2 says, For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. And the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. See, notice who the one is establishing this. It's coming from the God who is. It's not coming from sinful man. It's not coming from uh, your, your mentor or the person that you look up to. It's not coming from your spouse. It's not coming from your kids. It's not coming from your job. It's not coming from this world. It is coming from the God who is. He is the one who establishes it. He is the giver of that good gift. He is the one that gives you love from on high. In the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, it states it this way. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. See, for every believer here today, that should be something that should fill you. To know that the God who created you loves you with an eternal love. A love that he only gives to those who have been born again. A love that, as we'll find in a few moments, came at a great cost to his son. But that love never ceases. Because God never ceases to be. And therefore, an attribute that belongs to God will eternally exist. In perfection, forever and ever and ever. So God is love. God's steadfast love never ends. God's steadfast love is a holy love because it comes from the God who is thrice holy as we learned as we've been studying the book of Ephesians which amazingly enough is the passage that I, I picked in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 and 5 these should be familiar words to you even as he chose us in him so even as he chose Bill Diggins in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be, what? Holy and blameless 
before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So again, God is at the helm. God is sovereignly in control of all of this. The point that his will is being worked out even through that which is good gifts he gives, but also through the evil acts of men. God can glorify himself and show his love even to a people that do not deserve. Because guess what? There's one standing right before you this morning. I do not deserve the mercy of God. I don't deserve the love of God. But it comes from the God who is love. The God who gives his love to those who have been born again of his son, Jesus Christ. So that we can live a holy and blameless existence. Because apart from being holy and blameless, we cannot be in the presence of the God who is love. His love will not permit it. Neither will his wrath upon sin. His righteousness will not permit it. That's why Jesus Christ had to come, take on human flesh, die on a cross, be buried, and God the Father raised him from the dead. Because apart from that, we don't see the love of God and won't experience the love of God forever and ever. Fourth, God's steadfast love is the source of our love. And we hit on this a little bit in um, verses 7 and 8 of the same chapter of 1 John 4. Because of, uh, it says, in this, so because God is love and uh, love is from God, since this is a reality, the love of God was made manifest among us. Well, how was it made manifest among us? By the Son of God taking on human flesh, being Emmanuel, which we sung this morning, God with us. That's how it was manifested. God wants to be known, and he wanted to show his ultimate example of his love to an undeserving world. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world so that, he, uh, that through him... I'm going to get ahead of myself, ain't I? I am, I'm sorry. 1 John 4.19, I jumped in my notes. We love because he first loved us. That's the source of this love that we have. Uh, Apart from God working in us, being born again of God, we cannot love. So anyone that tells you, I know what love is, if you look in all the volumes that has been written by man on the subject of love, if you've watched movies about love relationships, guess what? They're all wrong. Because unless they are written through the lens of the God who is love, then it is not about love at all. We love because God first loved us. God is the initiator. God is the giver of that gift. And apart from him, we cannot love. So God is love. God's steadfast love never ends. God's steadfast love is a holy love. God's steadfast love is the source of our love. And how did God love us first? He loved us first by sending his son, Jesus Christ. So God's steadfast love is realized in Jesus. Jesus shows us what godly love is. Because God's steadfast love for us is costly. It came at a high price. The son of God became the son of man. 
to die at the hands of sinful men so that he may be glorified and lifted up as the one true Savior. See, the Father sent his only Son. The thing is, as people look at the Old Testament, oftentimes they see a wrathful, vengeful God because God dealt in different ways in the Old Testament with other nations. And it seems like God didn't tolerate a whole lot in the Old Testament. God wasn't very loving in the Old Testament. I like the Jesus of the New Testament because he is love. Have you ever heard that before? Well, see, the thing is, it's the same God. Nothing has changed about God. As a matter of fact, we can see the love of God through the Father because the Father is actually the one who sent the Son. Listen to what it says in 1 John 4, 9 and 10, where I was a few minutes ago before I was supposed to be. It says, In this, God is love, love is from God, and so the love of God was made manifest among us. If you're getting a little bit of deja vu, that's okay. Because exactly what needed to happen. Jesus Christ came, took on flesh, was born, was laid in a manger. The love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world. See, that is love exhibited. That is love coming to its fullest expression from the God who is love. And that is for the Son of God to take on human flesh, walk amongst us, to be known and to tell us the truth. To not withhold and say, well, you know what, you only need to know this much. Or, you know what, I'm going to keep you guessing until which time you stand before me at the end of all things. So Jesus Christ came to reveal God's truth to us, to show us. And it says here in verse 9, so that we might live through him. So Jesus is going to provide in love from God the Father, whom the Father sent to the world so that we could live. So that we'd no longer be dead in our trespasses and sins, but be alive in Christ. Verse 10 says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but God, uh, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. There's that big word propitiation once again. Twofold thing. It means that God, God's wrath on your sin and my sin was appeased in Christ. Jesus was our substitute. He took our place. And second, that we are reconciled to God. We're made right with God because the love of God comes in and does its great work. But you'll notice there in verses 9 and 10, this all happened because God the Father sent his Son. It's repeated twice for you to see that God the Father is no different than God the Son or God the Holy Spirit in relation to being God. Each one having its own individual role within the Godhead, but it's the same one and only God. So the love that the Son has is no different than the love that the Father has or the love of the Spirit because it comes from the God who is love. Each one playing its particular role in that salvific work. The Father sending, the Son giving his life, and the Spirit being the one who is the seal until the day of redemption. So it's a costly, steadfast love. But God's steadfast love is also proclaimed through Jesus' name. Matthew 1.21, scripture we often read this time of year. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. 
for he will save his people from their sins. I don't know if you realize this or not, but Jesus' name, the name Jesus, the name that God the Father gave him and said, his name shall be called Jesus. Jesus means Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. So Jesus, by his very name, is proclaiming why Jesus came. Jesus came to save. The great I Am took on flesh to be Yahweh with us, Yahweh who saves, Yahweh who is salvation. That's why in Acts 4.12 it says there is salvation in no one else. So stop striving in your own strength. Stop believing all of the other religions of the world. Stop believing talk show hosts who tell you that there are many ways to God because there's not. There's one way. That is through Jesus who is the Savior. Yahweh who saves. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Those are God's words, not mine. And God is proclaiming this truth to you this morning. That's why in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, that it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him. Highly exalted who? Jesus, his son. And bestowed on him a name that is above every name. Well, what is that name? Jesus. Yahweh saves. Yahweh is salvation. The great I am is Savior. That's why his name is above every name. Because there's no other name under heaven that you can be saved by. No other blood sacrifice will do. Only the Son of God's blood will do. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So if you're a believer here today in Jesus Christ, your knee has bowed. You have accepted Jesus Christ. You have believed in Yahweh who is salvation in Jesus Christ, in Emmanuel, God with us. But if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you, for the rest of your life, until the day that you die, reject Jesus Christ, your knee will still bow. It doesn't matter whether you're in heaven, on earth, it says every knee will bow. So what will you do with the Jesus of Christmas? What will you do with Yahweh, the one who brings salvation, the one who will save his people from their sins? God's steadfast love is proclaimed through Jesus' name. Third, God's steadfast love guarantees an eternal kingdom. Taking us back to Psalm 89, verses 3 and 4, it says, You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. This is God speaking. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Did you notice? I have. I have sworn. I will establish. I will build. This is coming from the God who is faithful. The God who has steadfast love. So if God says it, God's going to do it. He is going to bring to completion that which he has promised. He he even swore an oath. And God's yes is always yes and his no is always no. God never goes back on his word. His word need not change because it's perfect. He never speaks lies. He only speaks the truth. 
And so when he says he's going to establish David's offspring forever and build a throne for all generations, that is the truth, because there is a kingdom coming. That takes us to Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33. Speaking of Jesus, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. Because God's kingdom is an eternal kingdom. God's love is eternal. And my next point for the next few moments, I want to speak to the believers here. You know, because we live in a, a day and age where it, it seems as though fear has been elevated. Fear has been something that has grabbed people and, and, and kept them in a stranglehold. Depriving them of freedom to be able to experience the love of God, to, to be able to walk in a manner worthy of God. And my third point is, is that God's perfect, steadfast love cast out all fear. And I appeal to Psalm 89 again, and I want you to see, because of a very you know, poignant way, God is, is declaring the reason why David need not fear anything. And I think there's an applicable truth for us as believers here today. It says in verse 20, it says, I have found David my servant. So again, it's God doing the finding. David didn't come seeking God. God found David. With my holy oil, I have anointed him. So God has set David apart for a particular, you know, call that God put upon his life. A call that as we, we look, you know, in relation to salvation that went before the foundation of the world. David wasn't part of it. It was part of God's plan. It was part of God's will from before the foundation of the world. David had a very important part to play, and God was going to show his power through David. He says, I have found David my servant, and with my holy oil I have anointed him. I have set him apart, so that my hand shall be established with him. So in other words, God's power, God's uh, you know, righteous right hand is going to be established, is going to be shown to the rest of the world for all of eternity through David. My arm also shall strengthen him. Does God answer to anyone? Is there anyone that has a, a uh, you know, something over the God of all? Does the devil have some last card he's going to play in this, you know, game of life that is going to all of a sudden catch God off guard? No, not at all. See, God is over all. He is the one who establishes. He is the one who will strengthen uh, his servant, David. It says in verse 22, the enemy shall not outwit him, the wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. Did you notice who was doing all of the work? Who was accomplishing all of it? God was. And so for every believer here this morning, I want you to put yourself in David's position. Because yes, David uh, is a son of God. Yes, David was king over Israel. But uh, God was the one who worked in his life. He is the one who found David. 
He is the one who put David into power. And it is through the throne of David that the, the Messiah would come. Jesus would be through the line of King David. But all of those things that God was going to do through David as he protected him are all things that we, as children of God, can know today. Because if you can say, well, God found me, Bill Diggins in 1975. He has set me apart because I am now a son of God and no longer a son of this world. So that God's hand might be established with me. So that the rest of the world will know that there's something different about Bill Diggins. That he lives as one who has hope and peace and joy. Who has a love that I don't understand. Because he's been set apart by the, from the God who is love. Or by the God who is love. God's arm will also strengthen me. Because even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Because God's with me no matter what happens in my life. So no matter what comes in to try and quench the joy and the peace and the hope that I have, guess what? The love of God is going to push all of that out. Because there's nothing to fear. My enemy shall not outwit me. The wicked shall not humble me. I will not bow to that which is wicked. I bow to the one who is righteous and holy and just, the one who loved me in his son, Jesus Christ. God will crush all of my foes before me and strike down those who hate me. They hate me because of what I represent. I represent the truth. I represent someone who's been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And guess what? They may hate me for that. Well, Jesus says, well, they're going to hate you, but they hate me first. They didn't want to be saved. They didn't want a Savior because they loved their sin. God's faithfulness and God's steadfast love will be with me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And in my name, his horn be exalted. So in other words, as a son of God, because of what God has done in me, God himself will be exalted. Because his son makes that possible. And 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And the reason why perfect love casts out fear is because God is love. And God is the one who gives love. And he gives love only to those who belong to him, who have been born again. And therefore, as those who are recipients of that, guess what? Anything that can provide fear, which fear has to do with judgment, fear has to do with, uh, you know, someone having power over you, whether that is power that you give to fear or power that other people uh, wield over you, you have nothing to fear at all. Because God has you. Because God's love is going to fill you. Because God's joy is going to fill you. Because the hope that you have in Jesus Christ is not in vain. And you have peace with the God who made you. So how should this inform our lives today? Well, I appeal once again to Psalm 89, verse 26. says here in relation to David, David shall cry to me, 
You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Like I told you, David's God is Yahweh. So it's our God as well. When we trust the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as the Savior, whose name means Yahweh is salvation, then we too can say, my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. As if it is a rallying cry, because it is the truth. Not that you somehow have ownership or possession of God. What you're saying is, I belong to God. He's my God. He sent his son in love and showed me a, a beautiful picture of what he was willing to do because he is love. And that's for the son of God to take on my sin, to be my substitute, to hang on that cross, even though he was not guilty of one ounce One thought, word, or deed that was sinful. He was pure. The spotless Lamb of God. The only one worthy. The only blood that can wash away sin. The only Savior who can actually save. Because every other religion of the world is based in people that are now dead in a grave. Or it's a dead, worthless idol that's made of wood or the hands of man. But Jesus Christ is alive. He sits at the right hand of the throne of God even now. And so today is the day of salvation. This Christmas should be the first Christmas for those who do not know Jesus Christ to trust him as Savior. To realize that he came for the purpose of showing God's love to you. And only through him and through repentance in him can you have salvation. So church family... I don't do this too often. So we're going to say, my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation together. Because this is something you need to understand. This is something you need to verbalize. Make part of who you are. Say it whenever you find yourself facing something that's fearful. Because you've got to remember who you are. Because of God in you. Okay? So, my Father, my God, and the... Uh, And the rock of my salvation. I did the same thing in the first service. So let's try that again. Uh, Lord, for a mind that would actually think rightly all the time. All right. My Father, my my God, and the rock of my salvation. All right. That's who you are in Jesus Christ today. So there is nothing in this world that can rob you of that truth. So that means that there's nothing that you need fear. Not even death itself, because Jesus Christ overcame death itself. Yes, these frail physical bodies are one day going to perish. But the eternal soul will be with God in heaven forever. In the presence of pure love, coming from the God who is love. And so with this I close. I'm going to give you a Christmas prayer. From Ephesians chapter 3, which we won't be at for a little while yet. And you're not going to find the title of Christmas Prayer, but I think it sums up rightly what we're speaking to in relation to the love of God. Ephesians 3, starting in verse 16. It says, That according to the riches of his glory, so this is the riches of the glory of God Almighty, according to that, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. This is speaking to believers. 
So according to God's riches of his glory, that God will grant you, you in particular, the ones that just said, my Father, my God, my rock of my salvation. That he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. Not your own power, not the power of this world, God's spirit, in your inner being. So internalized. So it's not affected by the external things of this world. It's not affected by the circumstances of this world because it's on the inside. Because God changes you from the inside out. Verse 17. And there's a reason for this. This There's a so that here. So there's an outcome expected. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what it is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And to know, not just head knowledge, we're talking about experientially part of who your, your entire being, to know the love of Christ. The only way you can know the love of Christ is if you have a personal relationship with Christ, with God's Son. That you may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So all those volumes that man puts together saying this is what love is, you can throw them all out because God's love will surpass knowledge. Man can't figure it out because it's godly. It is spiritual in nature and the natural man does not understand it. That's why you need to be born again so that you can see the love of God and experience it. It surpasses knowledge. You won't be able to wrap your mind around it because why would the Son of God take on flesh, take my sin, and die on a cross? Why? The love of God in Christ Jesus. And this is so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Guess what? And I'm probably going to, to make everybody's mind just think crazy things this morning. But spiritually, you're going to explode. Because you're going to be filled with the fullness of God. To the point where God fills you, presses it down, fills you some more, presses it down, fills you some more. To the point where you overflow so that the world can see what the love of God does in the life of a believer. That you have a hope, a peace, and a joy that the world so desperately needs, but keeps looking everywhere it should not. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Know it, not just a matter of fact, but know it experientially, because you, have a, you walk with God, you abide with him, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. As we prepare for communion this morning, Father, we do thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, because that's why we're here this morning. That's why we know that there is a a, a core foundation to what Christmas is really all about. It's about Christ coming. It's about Jesus, Yahweh, who is salvation, the great I Am. Availing his power and his glory to take on human flesh, never once ceasing to be God, being 100% man, 100% God, 
so that he could tell us the truth, so that he could take sin upon himself, yet himself not being a sinner at all, sinless, perfect, holy, pure. That's why we take communion, is to remember the great cost involved, to remember that sacrifice, to see the love of God exhibited in the Son of God. the insistence of the Holy Spirit so that every believer here this morning, Father, would experience and know the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge. That they would be filled to the fullness of who you are as they experience being a son or a daughter of the God who is. Love, grace, mercy, holiness, wrath, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, wonderful, awesome, kind, good, loving, and many, many more. Father, we thank you for that love being exhibited in such a powerful way, and may we never look at Christmas or communion the same again as we realize the power of that love exhibited through a believer each and every day. We have nothing to fear because you are with us even to the end of the age. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.